attention today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. The Kansas Football Jayhawks are 5-0. That's right. You heard that correctly. Kansas Football, 5-0 after a wild, crazy, insane game over Iowa State. KU football gets the win, 14-11. to They're 5-0. and They're one game closer to bowl eligibility. What's up, everybody? This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today, and boy, did he pick a bad day to miss today's show. Packed show coming up here today. We're going to talk about KU football coming up here in just a few minutes. We got Lance Leipold post-game press, post-game press conference audio coming up. At 3.40, David Lesky is going to join us to talk Royals. And in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll have Chiefs-Bucks recap. Uh, last night, big win for the Chiefs, by the way, also. And at 425, we'll be joined by KU associate uh, head coach for women's basketball, Terry Nooner. More KU football talk later on in the 4 o'clock hour and in the 5 o'clock hour, Case of the Mondays coming up as well. So as I said, very, very packed show today. But the wait is over, Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL, we're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can get just $5, can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 free in bets if they do. The early line is out for KUTCU. I think it's 5.5 or 5 in favor of TCU. So once again, the books continue to disrespect the Hawks. KU's 5-0 against the spread. I don't know. We'll see what happens against TCU. So if you were on uh, last week, 3.5 was the spread for KU against Iowa State. I think it actually came down to 3 at one point, but obviously KU covered that and got the win. So keep an eye on the spread for TCU this week. I'll be curious to see what happens, of course, uh, in that game as well. So you can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. The Kansas Jayhawks, they're 5-0, and but that might, that might not even be the best news of the weekend. College game day. Coming to Lawrence this week against TCU. They still haven't announced, by the way, where they're going to set up. And Derek and I had talked about this uh, last week or the week before about if college game day were to come to Lawrence for for football, where they would go. Now, here's the issue. The game against TCU is at 11 a.m. I was was of the opinion that if it was not an 11 a.m. game, they should go down to Mass Street, block off a block of Mass Street, and have it there. But with the 11 a.m. kick, you kind of pretty much have to have it, I think, at the bottom of the hill right behind the scoreboard. That way the fans will actually go into the stadium before the game. I did say on Twitter, 
I think it was Matt Tate said that he thinks that uh, they're going to have this the final hour of the show actually inside the stadium to promote fans uh, coming in, which I think is a great idea. Obviously, we we need we need butts in seats. We need butts in seats, guys. Got to get inside of the stadium uh, for KU football taking on TCU. It is a ranked matchup. KU football, the good news just kept pouring in over the weekend. The Jayhawks finally in the top 25. It was only a matter of time. They were 26 last week, so with the win against Iowa State, they absolutely had to be there. And finally, KU getting recognized nationally, ranked number 19 in the country. This is their first time being ranked since 2009 when they also started 5-0 in 2009. Now, I really hope that's where the comparisons to 2009 end because for KU fans, we know the 2009 season actually ended with KU going 5-7 and seven and missing a bowl. So hopefully that does not happen this season for KU. They're 5-0, and ranked number 19 in the country. And for Lance Leipold, it only took him 17 games to get KU to where they are right now. By the way, I, they saw, I saw this also. The last three KU coaches, so you're talking Charlie Weiss, David Beatty, and Les Miles were combined like 5-28, and 28, I think. And Les Miles is now 5, or his record is now 7, 7 and what? 7 and 10? Yeah, 7 and 10 for Lance in 17 games. So just an incredible, incredible job that Lance has done for KU. And obviously, what a win against Iowa State. College game day is going to be here. I don't know if I don't know if they can do this. I don't even know if this is allowed, but Fox should consider flexing the game, in my opinion. Uh, that's a totally unbiased opinion. They should consider moving it around, moving it off of 11 a.m. But for right now, it's 11 a.m. kick. I don't even think I don't even know if that's possible. I mean, I I, I mean, listen, I have a lot of influence, so I'll just call Fox. I'll just be like, hey, Fox, change the game time, and they'll they'll do it. They'll listen to me. I promise. Um, by the way, quick update. I sent a request to the to the mayor of New York after his comments about Kansas a couple weeks ago. I've not heard back. I know Derek told me to let him know if I hear back. Haven't heard back yet. I sent him a little I sent him a little note, said, Hey, watch who you're talking to out here in Kansas. So, anyways, KU gets the win, 14 to 11 over Iowa State. And I don't know if I've actually said this on the show yet, but my favorite saying in college football or in fo- really in any sport. It doesn't have to apply to football, though. Typically it does. In any sport, the best part of winning ugly is winning. And that's exactly what Kansas did. They won an ugly game. And it was an ugly game. It was honestly, it was actually a, a very entertaining ugly game, I will say, though, uh, which was which was fun. So I did, I did enjoy the game, even though it was ugly. And there was people saying, oh, well, this is the battle for the Nebraska job. Well, if it was hopefully Lance is not gone. But there was some even bigger news, actually, in the, on that front with Wisconsin firing uh, Paul Chris over the weekend, which is another job that Lance is from Wisconsin, and obviously he was at Wisconsin Whitewater. So now there's a lot of talk about that. So for, for KU, I think I've, I've switched to the opinion of, you know what, you can't worry about outside influences, what's going on with whatever, whether Lance Leipold is going to leave, whether he's going to stay. Just focus on the here and now, man. This is the first time KU's been five and zero in thirteen years. Just enjoy, just enjoy the ride while we've got it, and and worry about the future later. In that game against Iowa State, the Cyclones they missed three field goals. I feel so bad for their kicker. Not bad enough that I wish he would have made one though. That would have been. I don't feel that bad, but I I do feel bad for him. Missed three field goals, but also, what was Matt Campbell doing? What was Matt Campbell doing? Fourteen to eleven. It's fourth in less than a yard. Why would you not go for it there? Your kicker's already missed two field goals. I don't understand why you wouldn't go for it. 
Matt Campbell runs out his freshman kicker again, and he misses. And by the way, I don't know if you saw the video they show of like the back angle. That thing missed by a hundred feet. It was way, it was way off. It was not even close. So Matt Campbell uh, lost that game for Iowa State. I mean, just some some really questionable decision making there at the end, and it benefits KU. So. By the way, it was pretty impressive, though, that Iowa State kicker, he, he actually doinked two kicks. He doinked two consecutive kicks, and then they, rail, they ran him out for the third kick, and he missed it way off. And Kansas survives, gets the win, and is now ranked. So Matt Campbell, I think, has a lot of, of questions to ask for. And, and Matt Campbell is the guy that, leading up to the game against Iowa State, we actually heard from, from John Walters, the voice of the Cyclone, saying, you know, hey, Matt Campbell is the guy that's been linked to a lot of national jobs before, and he's always reaffirmed his commitment to Iowa State. Have we considered the fact that Matt Campbell maybe just hasn't been offered any of the top jobs because he's 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 not very smart? I don't know what I don't know how else to put it. It was just not intelligent from Matt Campbell at all what he was doing at the end of the game. But obviously, Kansas uh, reaps the benefits with the big win, and it was perfect football weather on Saturday and a fantastic uh, win for KU. Really. I mean, I don't, I don't think you could ask for a better weekend for KU. Beating Iowa State, getting ranked, getting college game day with TCU coming to town, just just a, a picture-perfect weekend for KU. And I want to highlight a couple things about this game. We'll get more into it with Derek over the course of this week, but a couple things that I wanted to point out. Number one, Kobe Bryant is that dude. Kobe Bryant is good. And we're going to hear from Lance Leipold, actually, in the postgame. He had, he had some praise for Kobe Bryant as well. Kobe Bryant outstanding. I, I don't even know what, what more you could add on the performance of Kobe Bryant. Just a fantastic game. He's been such an impact player throughout this season so far for KU in the secondary and, and on the blocked field goal in the first game against Tennessee Tech. The pick six, obviously, against West Virginia. The guy is just a ball hawk. He, he's great, and he's a very aggressive player, and in the secondary, sometimes you need a guy like that, and for Kobe Bryant, man, the pick that he made was outstanding. He had another interception that was overturned that looked like an interception, but then it did get overturned. But the guy was the guy is just just an excellent player. Uh, I mean, really a fantastic performance for him. And Kenny Logan had probably his best games, maybe his best second half of the season, also in the secondary for KU. And the Kansas defense, five sacks. Lonnie Phelps was a playmaker when they needed him to be. But it was really the entire D line. I think that was maybe the most impressive part of this performance from the KU defensive line specifically. Is it wasn't just a Lonnie Phelps takeover game. It was, it was really a collective group effort from the D-line, and we know they rotate a lot of guys on the D-line, and that, that proved to be a big factor in the game against Iowa State. There was fresh bodies in there every time, and, and KU was getting pressure on Hunter Deckers and, and roughing him up a bit, five sacks and eight tackles for loss, I think, in the game for KU. So, yeah, an impressive game from the Kansas defense. And the question we had all along was, we've known how good the offense has been so far this season, but could the defense step up and win a game for KU? And the answer in this in this case was yes. I mean, the offense did absolutely nothing. They got outgained in the game by Iowa State. Iowa State ran, I think, almost 30 more plays than KU did. I mean, I, Iowa State, on paper, you would think should have definitely won this game against KU. But the defense kept them in it. The defense was fantastic, and they, they made it happen. I mean, it was Kobe Bryant. It was Kenny Logan. It was the D-line getting pressure on Hunter Deckers. The running game for Iowa State really struggled against KU, which was – which was fantastic to see, and just a just an overall a very very impressive performance from the defense. And like I said, we wondered what would happen if the offense struggled, and against Iowa State, that that question was answered. But I will say this: 
if Jalen Daniels hits Quentin Skinner on that post route in the fourth quarter, if he if he hits him on that play, the game is over right then and there. The game is over. That that was a miss. And and again, Lance Leipold had more comments on on how things kind of played out with the offense in the second half. But but yeah, that that was a big miss. And you get away with it against Iowa State. But if you're in a close game against against a Baylor, against Oklahoma State, against Oklahoma, I don't think you can afford to miss those plays against some of the upper echelon teams of the Big 12. Because, I mean, realistically, where do we think Iowa State is in the Big 12 right now? They're, they're, are they top half? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. So while this is a great win for KU and sort of a real measuring stick game for them, is they're, they're, definitely, you know, they're definitely in the thick of the Big 12 for sure. There's no question about that. But, but I think that's a play. Specific, that's just kind of you know, pigeonholing on one play. That's a play I think you, you have to make. If, if you want to win against the upper echelon teams of the Big 12. So that's something to keep in mind. And like I said, Lance Leipold had some more thoughts on that as well. And, and then another big story of this game for KU, obviously, was the Daniel Highshaw injury. It, it's, it's, it's looking like he might be done for maybe a while, maybe the whole season. Uh, no, no official word yet, but certainly we hope for, for a speedy recovery for, for Daniel Highshaw and what he was able to do so far for KU. But now the, the reality situation is the running back room for Kansas all all preseason coming into the, in, into fall camp and everything was was touted as the most talented deepest position on the field for Kansas and all season long even in the preseason and coming into this season the mentality of the coaches has been next man up next guy and that's going to be put to the test here for KU and you know Kai Thomas has been has been beat up a bit even Devin Neal's dealt with a little bit of injuries but now you've got Devin Neal, you've got Savion Morrison, you've got Kai Thomas. Tory Lachlan has been getting a lot of playing time as well. Uh, we've seen Tory Lachlan not so much as a running back, but more of kind of like a, a gadget guy or doing some different stuff. And and by the way, Tory Lachlan got the another fumble recovery on that muffed punt by Iowa State. So he's just a guy that knows how to find the ball also on special teams. And that's that's the kind of stuff that you think is going to get you on the field as well. So. So the injury to Daniel Highshaw is 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 definitely hurt definitely hurts for KU, but it's it's got to be a next man up mentality for for Kansas, and I think that's what it's been all along. And so the running back room will definitely be tested for for Kansas going forward. And the discussion around this Iowa State defense and Iowa State coming into this game was their defense is, is pretty strong. They're they're presenting a different front, and they're really really good in the second half. That certainly proved to be the case against Kansas. KU, 14 points in the second quarter, and the Jayhawks, could ju- they just couldn't do anything in the second half. I mean, it was a completely different half of football in the second half for KU. They were just were really struggling, and they were trying to run the ball outside, inside, and just, it just nothing was really working for KU in the second half. And, again, that speaks to the defense. And KU, as I said, they got, out, they got, they got outgained 303 to 213 in, in that game. And penalties were an issue for Kansas, too. I think they officially had seven penalties in the game. Penalties hurt them as well. And, I, and it, it wasn't necessarily the volume of penalties, but the timeliness of those penalties. I mean, all of them, it seemed like they came on a, on a big play for KU or something happened positively for KU, and boom, penalty kind of set them back. But they were able to overcome that. And I think, the, the, for me, my biggest takeaway from Jalen Daniels, and I'm sure we'll get more, more into this with, with Derek later this week when we break down uh, more of this game, for KU is, but my 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 overarching takeaway from Jalen Daniels was he struggled, but he didn't make a big mistake. He struggled, yes, there's no question about it. 93 yards passing, I think he was seven of 14 in the game. He absolutely struggled in this game, but he didn't make a big mistake. And 
to me, that's a plus because I think you would see past KU quarterbacks when they're struggling, they would make a big mistake. They would they would throw that ball into triple coverage for an interception. They would have a they would hold the ball for too long and have a, have a sack fumble or something. So that was my biggest takeaway from Jalen Daniels in this game was that he struggled, but he didn't make a big mistake. So KU gets the win, fourteen to eleven. They're five and zero, number nineteen in the country, hosting number seventeen TCU this weekend. College game day is coming to town. It's an exciting time to be a KU fan. And we'll take a short break when we come back. We'll hear from Lance Leipold. Got two parts to this, so we'll play part one for you here now and then part two later on in the show of the post-game press conference with Lance Leipold after the win against Iowa State. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson is out today, but that doesn't mean... We stopped the show with David Leskew joins us every Monday from inside the crown to talk Kansas City Royals. David, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. So, David, the Royals get swept by the Tigers. They are finishing up the season against the Guardians. Does this finish or how the Royals finish this season matter, do you think, big picture-wise for this team? Uh, no, not really. I think that... Um... Yeah, what what they what they needed to see this year, they've seen um, a lot of the young guys getting a ton of it back. I, I think that you know we we can harp on the lineup every single day, which people will still do no matter what. But you know, it, it's five to seven rookies every single night. So I think that that's um, a lot of evaluation of the young young bats. Young arms. I mean, the only veteran getting starts is Zach Greinke. So, you know, they they are getting just a ton of evaluation. And then what is a season? What well became a lost season? It's almost over, um, obviously. But uh, the the wins, the losses. I don't think they matter all that much. I think that it's it's just about getting every single data point they can between now and and Wednesday at about six o'clock, probably. <laughs> and. Um, and then they can go from there. I think that you know, we're, we're going to hear, I'm guessing on Thursday we're going to hear, hey, there's going to be a new manager, there's going to be a new pitching coach, there's probably going to be a new first and third base. I mean, there's going to be a lot of new coaches, all that stuff. Um, and, yeah, this is, this is just, they're, they're just, they are, they are getting data now is, is all they're doing. And if they win, great. If they lose, okay, no big deal. That's, that's just kind of the way it is now. Yeah, I was going to ask you for an over-under on how long after the final out of the ninth on Wednesday that Mike Matheny is announced that he's gone. <laughs> what would you say? What would you say? How long do you think? Is, is it going to be like right then or is it going to be the next day? Or how quickly do you think he's out the door? Um, I would guess it's Thursday. I mean, I think back to the previous seasons, and it's a little bit different because they had to push the season three days because the owners, you might recall, were super greedy and had a lockout. Um, but, <laughs> um, sorry, did I, did, did I editorialize there? Sorry about that. Um <laughs> I didn't but uh, normally we've got our, it's like the NFL. We got Black Monday, and Black Monday is now Black Thursday this year. <laughs> and so, I think of the managers who haven't been let go, I think you'll you'll hear. I would guess two or three on Thursday. Um, probably not going to take the shine off the last game of the season, but playoffs start Friday, and not that teams always listen to the league, but the league doesn't like big announcements like that to overshadow the playoffs. And so it's kind of, if you don't do it Thursday, I don't know when the next day off for the playoffs is. So um, I would imagine that we get that news coming down on Thursday. 
wouldn't shock me if we hear about it before that of, hey, by the way, this is Matheny's last game Wednesday morning or something. I don't know. Um, but I am still expecting that news to come down. I just think it might be the day after the season ends instead of today or tomorrow. Or maybe it'll be in an hour. Who knows? <laughs> it could be any time between now and then, really. So assuming Matheny is out the door, who would you like to see or who are some guys that you think would be on the radar as a possible replacement? Or I guess maybe even more generally, what kind of traits do you think a new manager needs to have to come in with this young team for the Royals and have success? Well, so I have an article ready to go. <laughs> I wrote it um, when I first heard that Matheny was probably out. It's got 22 names on there. So if you're looking for names, I got them all. But I'm going to give you, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some of the traits and I'll tell you some of my favorites. I think that what they need, obviously the direction that John Trevor wants the franchise to go is one more like we see in Tampa, Oakland, um, Milwaukee, you know, the, the, the successful small market teams, that, and, and also the Dodgers and the Yankees, these teams that utilize analytics and data to make their decisions in a less heartfelt way, I guess we can say. <laughs> I think that, and the John Sherman saw the way Dayton Moore did things and said, I, I, I want to do things based on what the numbers tell us we should do, not based on what our brain tells us we should feel. And so I think with that, you're looking at a manager who probably needs at least the ability to communicate those analytics, um, an ability to communicate in general is, I mean, really the, the manager's role in 2022, 2023 baseball is, is managing the people, communicating what needs to be communicated appropriately. And then also, you know, handling the bullpen, stuff like that. But I, I think the communication is, is, is the, really the biggest thing. And so of the names I've got on my list, and it might, we'll, we'll see, Four of them are internal. Two of them might get fired along with the baby. So it might, the list might drop to 20. But, um, you know, I, I personally, I still think Pedro Grifol would make a phenomenal manager. I have a hunch he's not going to be a part of the conversation just from talking to a few people. But you never know. Um, I, I think Alex Zumwalt, you know, J.J. Piccolo made it a point a few months ago, maybe, I don't know what it was, it was a while ago, to say that Alex Zumwalt could do anything. And he even said that could include being a general manager or a manager. And I, that stuck with me, and maybe it stuck with some other people, because I've asked around, hey, who gets the job if and when Matheny goes? And like three or four different people said Zumwalt. So it kind of perked my ears up. So that, that's a possibility. A couple other names I think are really interesting. Matt Quattraro from the Rays. Um, he makes a lot of sense. He was with the Guardians when John Sherman was the minority owner there, so that that helps a little bit. He's been the bench coach for the Rays. I mean, there's a lot there to like. I think that he makes sense. Joe Espada from Houston makes a lot of sense. He's had, he's had some chances and hasn't gotten jobs. I'm not sure if he's not sure how much he's really one of those jobs necessarily, um, but but he's out there. That's a very successful analytically run organization. Um, and then one name that popped up, I was I was shocked to like actually like this name I started reading about him and, and talking to a couple people. Dusty Watson, who is the Phillies third base coach right now. He was a minor league manager for years in their system. Really good. And if you, I mean, if you search around a little bit, you can start read some quotes from guys like Reese Hoskins and, and some of the other Phillies young players who came up. Every single thing is just absolutely glowing about this guy. And so it's interesting to me. That's an interesting name. I think, um, you know, and it also brings a Watson to Kansas City. And with John Watson retiring, they need to, they need to fill their Watson quota. So maybe that makes sense too. 
Would you would you prefer an internal hire, or do you think maybe this organization needs an external person coming in, or do you think it matters? I don't think it really matters all that much. I think it's all about the mindset. Um, you know, if you look at somebody like I'm trying to, there are a couple like Kai Correa is another name who's really interesting to me. He's the Giants bench coach. Oh, it's not they have a weird title for him in in San Francisco. He's he's really young. <laughs> I, mean, I think he's like thirty three years something like that, and. He's only been a big league coach for a couple of years. I think if you're going to do that, I, I don't think it would hurt to have uh, an internal bench coach. You know, maybe maybe a Scott Thorman from from AAA come up and be he, you know he'd be a first time manager, big league um, coaching candidate. But but he 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 knows the system well. It might not be a bad idea to have that kind of continuity with the young players. Um, but ultimately, I think you know this, this is going to be a much more normal offseason. I would imagine they get a hire done, you know, before they might take up the World Series, depending on who they want to hire. So maybe it's mid-November, but they actually get to communicate with the players. I don't think it's that huge of a deal. A little continuity might be nice on the coaching staff, so I, I'm interested to see how they handle that. But I, I don't think it matters too much. In one of your most recent articles, you mentioned that this has been one of the most trying seasons covering the Royals. <laughs> what what makes you say that? What 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 brought you to, to say that? I mean, it's just been, it's been a lot. <laughs> I, I think the, the losing, you know, they've lost before, but they weren't supposed to be this bad. So that, that alone right there just makes it difficult. But, I mean, really, watching the games is, can be a chore sometimes. When, when you're watching this bullpen walk six batters in two and a third inning, it's, just, it's, just, it's long. <laughs> it's, it's exhausting. And then... You go through the year, and every, I don't know, four to six weeks, Dayton Moore would pop his head up and say something condescending to the fans. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the whole the, 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 the Toronto trip, it, just, it seemed like every few weeks there was something that you just wanted to put your head in your hands and, and not pay attention. So it's just been a long year. Um, I, I think they're on, I think they're going to make the moves that will put them on the right track. Um, but anytime you take a step back like that, it, it, it's difficult. And when they were 17 and 37 on June 7th or 8th, I can't remember the date, it doesn't matter. Um, you're out of the playoff race in early June. That's just a long year in general. It is, <laughs> there, there's just nothing interesting to watch for. Thankfully, the world, they brought up all those young guys. And so that, that's given a little bit of a, something to watch, but it, it's just been long. <laughs> Kind of along those same lines. What what would you say to maybe a disillusioned rules fan who was thinking, hey, you know, 2014-15 was fun, but now we're just going to be bad again for another 30 years. Like, what what would you say to to a, a disillusioned rules fan right now? Well, I think it's very clear that John Sherman at the top sees what they have gone through, sees what they have done, and he he doesn't like it. And and he wants to change the way the Royals operate entirely. And I and I think what you're going to see I don't I don't know if they're gonna fully become the Rays or the A's or anybody like that. I think that you are probably looking at somebody some teams more like I mean the Brewers I think are a great example. They they spend a little, they keep their players. Um and they give Christian Yelich two hundred million dollars. I the Royals are gonna to have to do that if they want to keep Bobby Witt. Um if they if they wait too long, they might do that to keep MJ Melendez. They might, you know, there's there's talent on this roster. They're not just going to trade everybody. And I guess that's not fair to say call, call the Rays out because they did sign um, 
uh, Wander Franco to that big deal. But, you know, I, I think you can see an organization that is going to become more modern. The, 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 the winning teams of the last five to eight years, um, let's say five to seven, so that way we get past the Royals World Series win, um, those teams, the Royals are going to operate a lot more like those teams. And they're not going to win every year. I mean, it's it just, it, it's very unlikely that they will be consistently 90 to 95 wins or more, but they're going to give you a chance to see competitive baseball at the end of the season more often than not, I, if what they do works. And, you know, I think going, going toward a more modern and, you know, up-to-date approach, I think, I think helps to get that goal. And I don't know, it, like I said, we, we, I can't see the future, but what they're doing, I think, is going to push them in that right direction. You mentioned some of those young guys. How about Vinny Pasquantino, how well he's been playing lately? What's maybe his ceiling? I mean, what, what can he be for the Royals? Can he be like a, a Mike Moustakis-level player, an Eric Cosmo-level player? Can he be that kind of guy? I think he can be better. I mean, <laughs> you, you look at what he's putting up this season. I mean, the numbers are – like really impressive. It's not, these aren't, Oh, he's good for a rookie. These are, Oh, he's good. I mean, he's hitting what? 290 with a three seventy something on base percentage. Um, the power is actually a little bit surprisingly low. So I think there's room to grow there, but I mean, the guy's got more walks and strikeouts. <laughs> you don't see that from a rookie. You get 285, 88, 286 plate appearance, something like that. You don't see that from a guy who just comes up. It's, I mean, Stephen Kwan has done it, um, and Vinny Pasquantino is doing it. He's got a, a 12% walk rate, but he's also hitting He's hitting well. He, he went through that, that short slump when he came up. It wasn't really a slump. He was hitting the ball hard, just not getting hit. Um, didn't change his approach, and he's been really good since then. I, I don't know what the limit is for him. Um, I think the home runs are going to come. He's a very powerful guy. He's a big guy. If they don't, the doubles are going to be there. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you're looking at a guy, especially with the shift band, or I guess limited next season. I, I don't know. Could he hit 315? Probably. And if he's hitting 315, he's going to get on base with a 400 clip because he walked so much. Um, I mean, it, he, he he's not going to be the best player on the team because he just doesn't play good enough defense at an important enough position. But I think that there's every chance in the world he's the best hitter on this team for the next five seasons. I think they should lock him up. Get it done. Keep him in Kansas City. Give him a seven-year, $58 million deal. I just pulled a number out. But, you know, get, keep him keep him long term and, and, and be happy with, with him hitting third or fourth for the next five to seven years. All right, let's step into the time machine here for a minute. One year from today. So let's fast forward to October 3rd, 2023. You're on the show. We're talking Royals. What are we talking about before the end of the 2023 season? I think we're talking about how they take the next step. Because they're going to, I, I, my opinion, just, just looking ahead, I think they're going to make moves that make the team better. They're probably going to end up probably where we thought they'd be this year. I mean, a 78 to 84 win team, it's not going to be enough to make the playoffs, but. With with the young bats progressing, I think they're going to get. And I think they're going. To, the young pitchers are going to take steps because they're going to get a new pitching coach who will help them quite a bit. Um, I think that we are talking about. Okay, how do they? They went from sixty 
whatever, 79, let's say. How do they get from 79 to 90? And I think that's, that's the step for next offseason. Um, and it's doable. It's all doable. There, there is, <laughs> especially if they can fix their pitching development and their, and their pitching instruction, it's doable to see them in the playoffs by 2024. Um, may not happen, but I think that I think they're going to take a big step next year, and then we'll be talking about the next big step they need to take for 24. I'm talking with David Leskey of Inside the Crown. David, as always, we end all of our interviews with a player of the week. Who you got this week? Oh, boy. Um, it was between Waters and MJ Melendez for me. Waters, the numbers are ridiculous. So I, it's going to be him, I think. He had 286 for the 444 on base and 786 logging percentage. He had two homers. Four RBIs, five runs scored. Melendez, I just want to mention, because he had a really good week, too. 304, 429, 565. Um, <laughs> two rookies. I mean, the rookies have been doing it for a while. I wrote about that today on Into the Crown. But I think Drew Waters gets the award this week because just he's ridiculous. He's been really good. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how they handle Michael A. Taylor in the offseason. That, that, to me, is one of my biggest questions outside the obvious thing, because Drew Waters is ready to play every day in the field. All right, he is David Lesky. You can read more about him on Inside the Crown. David, thanks so much for giving your time and joining the show today. Uh, thanks, Nick. Uh, thank you. That was David Lesky of Inside the Crown talking all things Royals. And coming up here at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get into some Chiefs talk. The Chiefs got a huge win over Tampa Bay. That's coming up on the other side in the 4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, 4 o'clock hour right now. You're on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today, which is a shame because he's not going to get to hear me. Well, he might be listening still, uh, but he's not going to get to hear me talk about the Chiefs. And I love the Chiefs. And it was a great night last night on Sunday Night Football for Kansas City. We got Scorched Earth Mahomes, which is exactly what Derek and I talked about in our preview, actually, before the game last week. Patrick Mahomes, he took it personally. He was, he, was, he was mad. He was angry, and it showed. This guy was incredible. He could not be stopped. Unbelievable performance from Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs get the win 41-31. to And suddenly, the Chiefs are a Super Bowl contender once again. It's that easy. You go from one week losing to the Colts, the season's over, the next week, they're back. Chiefs are back. And let me just say, this is just classic Chiefs. I mean, classic Chiefs. Lose against a really bad team last week, and then come back in prime time against the number one scoring defense in football, against one of the top defenses in the NFL, in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you hang 41 on them. And you did it in style. I mean, what a performance from the Chiefs. 41-31, they absolutely smoke them. And, and yeah, this, this was just classic Chiefs. I think the Chiefs have had this problem occasionally recently where they sometimes tend to play to their level of their opponent. And that certainly seemed like it was the case against the Colts last week. Man, the Colts are bad. The Colts are really, really bad. They, they stink. And then they come back this week against a Bucs team that admittedly has struggled. I mean, the Bucs have not looked fantastic. Now, they, they play in the in the Charm and Soft NFC, so it's not like they're not a, a, a contender for the Super Bowl or anything. But they have not looked very good either. Tom Brady's been throwing been throwing stuff. He's been he's been mad, you know, and 
And so it's not like they've been great, but they're certainly still a really good team. Obviously, they have an elite defense, like I said, and and the Chiefs just came out and and kind of made them look silly, really. I mean, truly, that's what Mahomes was doing to him. He was making them look silly. And I'm just gonna tell you, it's for the for the Bucks. It's just a bad strategy to spot the Chiefs seven points by fumbling the opening kickoff. And is there a better way you can start a game and a football game at any level than to have the opposing team fumble the opening kickoff? Is there any is there any better way that you can start a game? Like if 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 you were to ask if I were to get to say, give me the absolute best case perfect scenario to start the game. Is that not it? Fumble the open kickoff, your team recovers, you score. Chiefs are up seven nothing in forty three seconds into the game. I mean, the Bucks literally spotted the Chiefs seven points. And if there's a team that you do not want to spot seven points, it's the Chiefs. And it came back to bite them. But certainly the headline of this game, I think, was was that Mahomes was magical. I don't even know how else to describe him. He was incredible. He made so many mind-boggling plays. It's impossible to rank them. It's impossible to remember all of them. It was just time and time again, he was pirouetting, spinning away from tacklers, running to the outside, making some crazy throws. I mean, just otherworldly performance from Patrick Mahomes uh, on Sunday Night Football. And, and again, it seems like you know he has one bad game and suddenly it's, Josh Allen this, Lamar Jackson that, Justin Herbert this, blah, 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 blah. Patrick Mahomes is the best is the best quarterback in the NFL. It's not even close. There's there's no question about it. I mean, I don't know how you could wa- I don't know how you could watch the game last night against the Bucs and, and come to any other conclusion that then he's the best. You think Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the NFL? He barely beat Bailey Zappi in the Patriots. But listen, no disrespect to Bailey Zappi. For those of you that may not know, Bailey Zappi is actually kind of a legend. He holds Pretty much every passing record I think you can hold uh, at the FCS level. He was at Houston Baptist. And then he went to Western Kentucky and, and was crazy there too. So, uh, listen, I am not a Bailey Zappi hater. Don't, don't, get, don't, don't, don't twist that at all. But still, Aaron Rodgers needed overtime to beat those guys? Yeah, okay. Josh Allen needed John Harbaugh going, it for, going for it on fourth down to give him the ball back to go score a game-winning field goal against the Ravens? Mahomes don't need that. Best quarterback in the league by far. And the the two plays that I think most notably stuck out to me, but like I said, there, I mean, there was at least probably half a dozen, if not more, that you were just like, what in the world? How does he even do that? The two biggest ones, though, was the touchdown, the touchdown pass to Clyde where Mahomes scrambles out to his right. He's like, he spins away from a guy. He's like, he looks like he's going to run for it. I thought he was going to try to just run for it. It was at the two-yard line. He's like getting wrapped up. And he spins and just floats it, and Clyde is right there wide open in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, I, it's just it's just incredible. It's just incredible. But I actually think the best throw of the night from Mahomes, and this might be one that people maybe forget a little bit, the best throw of the night from Mahomes was later in the game. It was a back shoulder, ankle-level throw to Travis Kelsey. He was running like a seam route. He had a linebacker on him. The linebacker was to Travis Kelsey's right, and Mahomes just puts it right where Kelsey can get to it to make the catch right at his ankles. Kelsey goes down, he scoops it up, rolls down, and it's like a 25-yard gain. That was the best throw of the night from Patrick Mahomes, no questions asked. And 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 to make that throw to Travis Kelsey again shows uh, just how good Travis Kelsey is too. And by the way, I do find it rather fitting that Travis Kelsey passes Rob Gronkowski for career receiving yards by a tight end against the Bucks and against Tom Brady. Obviously, Rob Gronkowski is, is retired, but Still, to do it against Tom Brady, the guy that threw to Rob Gronkowski almost all of his yards, I think. I mean, did, did Gronkowski ever even play with any other quarterback? I I don't know. It might be all of his yards with Tom. 
Um, I don't know. You, you did have that silly uh, – Rob Gronkowski made a brief stint where he was a, a Fox desk analyst, and he told a story about how the Patriots, I think at the time, were going to trade him to the Lions. And instead of being traded to the Lions, Gronk said that he was retiring. And then obviously he came back and joined the Bucks, or however that timeline worked. But, uh, yeah, Kelsey passes him. And Kelsey, I think Kelsey kind of needed this game also because he has the drop touchdown against the Colts that would have certainly iced the game, you know, with the sun in his eyes, whatever. He has the drop touchdown on the pass from Mahomes against the Colts. And maybe he needed this game. Maybe he needed this game to to kind of, you know, solidify himself again because it's the same story with Travis Kelsey, man. Travis Kelsey has a bad game. Oh, Mark Andrews this, TJ Hawkinson that, Dallas Goddard this. Yeah. You've got, the, you've got two guys that are the best at their position in football on the same team, Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And I, I don't think there's any question. And, and Kelsey is open every play, by the way. Every play. Every single play, he's open. I swear. That's a, that's a fact. <laughs> don't quote me on it. He's open every single play. And, you know, sometimes, it's, sometimes I get mad because I watch Mahomes and he, he doesn't throw it to Kelsey, even though he's open every play. But Kelsey had a great game. Nine catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown. So, uh, an, an excellent showing from those guys. And also, the run game for the Chiefs worked. And the ESPN run blocking grade gave uh, the O-line an 83% win rate on run blocking, which I believe was uh, the best or second best so far this season of any team in the NFL through four weeks. So, they, the offensive line had a great game. Clyde had a fantastic game. Isaiah Pacheco came in and had a good game. And, yeah, the run game for the Chiefs worked. And that, I think, was a surprise, a, a pretty big surprise, uh, that, that the Chiefs' run game had as much success as it did. I, I was not even, – even me, the most one of the most optimistic Chiefs fans, I was not expecting the run game to have success uh, against, against the Bucs, and it did. Clyde was good. Pacheco runs like he wants to murder someone every time he has the ball. I mean, he runs like he runs like he's never going to get the ball again. It's 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 really fun to watch what Pacheco does and what he brings as as the second guy. And and he was running late in the game against a lot of eight man fronts, and he still averaged over five yards a carry. So really an impressive game for Pacheco. Clyde has had a good game. Obviously, Clyde gets gets a lot of flack for being a first round pick, whatever this, that, or the other. I've always enjoyed Clyde. I think he's a fine, serviceable, serviceable back. People always want to go back and say, well, in that draft, you could have gotten such and such, whoever at that, that, that pick instead of Clyde, whatever. I, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I just don't, I don't, I just don't really have the energy to argue about that kind of stuff. Like, Clyde's on the team. He's a pretty good running back. He does a pretty good job. Now you have Pacheco as well. Like, you know, I just, I just don't, have, I can't be bothered to, to, to waste so much energy on, on those kinds of arguments. But like I said, the O-line was sharp, very sharp. Run game was excellent. And even in pass protection, the O-line was good. And it wasn't just Mahomes that maybe took this took this game personally. It was maybe some other guys too. You had Shaq Barrett talking about how, well, this is the same group of guys, same group of guys from the Super Bowl, and we, we destroyed them then. Not the same group of guys, bud. Not the same group of guys. And it showed. Trey Smith, excellent. Creed Humphrey, Solid. Very good. Joe Tooney, really good as well. So, yeah, like I said, this is this is just classic Chiefs. 
just just classic Chiefs to really struggle against the Colts, or who are a bad team. There's no question the Colts are a bad team, and lose, and then you come back in prime time, and you just remind everybody who you are. And th- this is actually something I've talked about before in the past with the Chiefs, where if they don't, it, it seems like if the Chiefs don't have that chip on their shoulder, if they don't have that edge, they're just not the same. And there's been times, last season to start the year, they lost that. They lost that edge. They lost that chip on their shoulder. And, and it showed. It showed. And they struggled early in the season. And, you know, the loss to the Colts seems to have maybe reignited them a bit, given them that, you know, that underdog sort of mentality. And they're going to need it. The, the AFC is loaded. I mean, this is obviously a huge win for the Chiefs, but long term, the AFC is still a very, very difficult conference. And I know people are going to say, well, you know, the Colts game doesn't matter. The Colts game doesn't matter. And to a certain extent, it does not matter. But it will matter when the Chiefs are one game out from being the one seed in December. It will matter very much. You'll be able to circle the Colts game and say, here is where the Chiefs lost the one seed. Right here. Right there. Point to it. There it is. That's where they lost the one seed. But for now, it is what it is. You're right. The Colts game is, is, a, is a forgotten dream. The Chiefs are back. Great game against the Bucks, and on the flip side, defensively for the Chiefs. First of all, the Bucks, I, I sort of inexplicably just completely abandoned the run. And sometimes people say, "Well, a team abandoned the run," and they use it a bit hyperbolically. No, the Bucks abandoned the run. They ran fifty. They ran fifty-eight total plays, fifty-two passes, six runs. Oh, by the way, six runs for three yards. Leonard Fournette finished with three carries for negative three yards. You had more rushing yards last night than Leonard Fournette did. I had more rushing yards last night than Leonard Fournette did. Anybody who didn't play had more rushing yards than Leonard Fournette did. Negative three yards rushing against the Chiefs. And this is a and this is a banged up Chiefs defense. I mean, this is obviously no Willie Gay. Trent McDuffie is still out. Like this is not a fully 100% operational Chiefs Chiefs defense. And for the Bucs to just completely abandon, I mean, I know they got down early, but it wasn't like they got down 30. I mean, they were down 14-3, to three, and then they were down, I'm trying to think, 17-3 to three maybe? But it wasn't like they were just completely sunk and dead, you know? But they just abandoned the run. And Tom Tom ultimately did cover up the Chiefs' defense, but it just didn't matter. The Chiefs, the Chiefs had enough. The offense was working so well. It didn't really matter, but Tom threw for over 300 yards, three touchdowns. Mike Evans had himself a great game, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. So, I think defensively for the Chiefs, this was a, a, a it was a performance. Was it a good performance? Mm, maybe. I guess again from the rushing standpoint, it was. But the Bucks didn't even try to run the ball. So, I don't know that you can point to this game and say, "Oh, look at the Chiefs' run defense." Yeah, Chiefs' run defense is fine. Like, can you say that? Can you say that when a team runs six running plays? I don't know that you can. And then obviously, Tom did carve him up in in the passing game. But Chris Jones has has been fantastic, by the way. He has been a game changer for the Chiefs. No questions about it. He's been so good, really, really good. And again, I, I've mentioned this. I mentioned this in the preseason. I mentioned it before. With Chris Jones, he doesn't have to be the guy filling up the stat sheet. He doesn't have to be that guy. He can he with his ability, he can impact the game in so many other ways 
besides getting sacks or getting tackles for loss. Just his sheer force of a pass rush. If he can force in force a quarterback out of the pocket or disrupt the pocket and maybe Carlos Dunlap or George Karloftis gets the sack. But, but Chris Jones has to be the best player, I think, on the Chiefs defense. He has to be the, he has to be the best player on the defense. And, and I think so far he has been, which has been great. I mean, you take away the penalty against the Colts, and, and he's, he's been excellent, which is really, really nice to see. Because, again, I've mentioned it before on this show. There was a time where Chris Jones was pretty much unequivocally the second-best defensive tackle in the league behind Aaron Donald. I don't know that that's really been true over the past season or so. But if he, can, if he hits that level again, could be a lot of trouble for opposing teams. So big win for the Chiefs. They've got the Raiders in primetime again on Monday night. Interesting enough for the Chiefs, the Chiefs do not have a 12 o'clock kickoff game until November 13th. The next five weeks, they are playing at not 12 o'clock. They're on Monday night against the against the Raiders. Then they've got a series of a couple 325 games. They, they go at San Francisco. That's a 325 game. They're on Sunday night football again later on in October against the Titans before they have another 12 o'clock kickoff game. So, do with that what you will. But yeah, they get the Raiders. Raiders got a win over the Broncos, so they're now 1-3. and three. Chiefs 3-1. and one. We'll see what happens on Monday night. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll be joined by KU Women's Basketball Associate Head Coach Terry Nooner to talk about the upcoming basketball season for KU. That on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Joined now by KU women's basketball head coach, or associate head coach, I should say, Terry Nooner on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Terry, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, just got back in from um, me and Wayne and Brett Ballard. We went to a, uh, the Kansas Hall of Fame uh, ceremony for Coach Williams, so we got to support him. And then Coach Brandon, he had two of his players from his Emporia days that also went in. So we were there last night in Wichita. So the awesome experience. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Terry, thanks so much for, for joining the show today. And first off, I just wanted to ask you, just talk about a little bit about your role as associate head coach and kind of what you do with the team and what, what your duties are. Um, I mean, primarily, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, it's no different from assistant coach. I guess I would just be in charge if Coach Brandon ever lost it one day and decided he needed to get kicked out of the game. <laughs> I would have to take over coaching duties. But um, I, my position is I work with the post players. Um, so, Yoan uh, and Twin are, are you know, our two starting fours and five. But I work with all the post players. Um, we all do scouts that we kind of split in thirds. Um, uh, recruiting, um, I'm probably more – um, specialized in like the local areas, so Kansas, Missouri, just pretty much within the three-hour radius um, of recruiting, um, and then just academic teams and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's not too much different. I guess I just had the most experience of our assistant coaches, so it elevates me just a little bit. And speaking of that experience, you've coached at a lot of different levels of basketball. What do you <laughs> think makes collegiate women's basketball interesting or unique, or what excites you most about coaching at this level um i just i just feel like um when when i when i first started coaching i i started out coaching it was a group of sixth grade girls and 
I really didn't know what I what what I was doing, and I had a mentor of mine, and I was asking him, you, you know, like, how do you coach girls? And and the biggest advice and the best advice he ever gave me was to don't treat them like girls, treat them like athletes. And that's kind of been my motto since. Um, I've coached high level guys, I've coached high level level uh, women, I've coached girls, and the. The one common thread is great players, no matter if you're a woman or or, or a man, you want to be great. Um, you want to take coaching. And if you can give any great player tidbits to make them a better player, they're going to listen to you. They don't care what your gender is or anything like that, your age, your color, your creed. They care about how can you as a coach help them get better. And I like the fact that our kids all want to be better players and better people. You touched on that a little bit, but just how important were those past experiences to where you are now? I mean, how much do you draw on what you've done in the past to help where you are right now? Oh, a lot. I mean, like you said, I've coached on on so many um, great levels. I think it's, it's it's invaluable for me with with our staff and that I can I can give different perspectives and and and. and uh, examples from you know coaching in Maryland and coaching the kids at Texas and coaching in the NBA of kind of the mindset of a great player and from playing with great players and being a great being around great players. It's, it's, that's things I can share with you know Coach Brandon. Things I can share with our players who are trying to get to those levels and what the mentality of a great player is, what it looks like, what it feels like, and we use that as we're going forward and recruiting and helping our young ladies too. You guys had a strong season last year, making a run on the NCAA tournament. What do you think you need to do to be able to build on that success coming into this season? Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is 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 to to not become complacent. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our, our biggest our our goals and aspirations aren't to just make it to the second round and get get beat by number one seed. Like we have greater goals than that. That was a great experience last year. It was great for the program. We did things that hadn't been done in, in you know, in decades. And, um, but we have, you know, greater goals to compete for Big 12 championships and to compete for national championships and Final Four. So just to not become complacent and, and be be happy with, with what we did last year because we have greater goals in store for us. Is there a specific aspect of the game that you feel like you've been focusing more on improving this season coming into, or this preseason, I should say, coming into this season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, just, just, um, I think off offensively, we were we were one of the best defenses by field goal percentage defenses in the league. Um, what what we need to improve on offensively is we were one of the worst teams in the country in turnovers, and our offense. Our offensive numbers were great, so if we can not turn the ball over as much as a team, we're going to be that much better. Just the fact of being able to get more shots up, then trying to improve in the area of offensive rebounding. Late night in the fog is coming up in just a few weeks. Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq Diesel's coming in for for <laughs> late night in the fog. How excited are you for that? Or how excited are you for that? How excited should the fan be for that? I am super excited. Like I'm, I'm I've been a, a, a big uh, Shaq fan since you know he was at LSU. I remember as a kid watching watching those guys play against uh, some of Coach uh, Williams' early teams. I believe it was in the NIT in the early '90s, and Coach Williams took a team that was undersized, under man, and they beat Shaq and Stanley Robertson. Those guys. So I've been a fan since you know he was 
just watching him in college and how dominant he is and following him in the NBA. And uh, I met him a few times when he was with the Lakers. So just seeing and knowing some people that knows him, just how good of a person he is and how he always tried to take care of his teammates and looked out for people, especially those who may not have had as much money as he did and tried to take people on his wing. So it's just it's going to be exciting. I know how great, you know, the energy that he has, you know, the showman that he is, it's just exciting for us to be able to see it in person. And I think it's going to be cool for people just to see how big and massive he is in person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And kind of along those lines, with the success of football right now and college game days coming to Lawrence this weekend, how much do you think that has really boosted the whole athletic program now with this great start to the fall athletic season? Oh, I mean, it's been awesome. Awesome! Like, I mean, you you got you got uh, football games are sold out. You got volleyball against Texas a week or so ago. Um, I was out recruiting, but I I set up. I was in D.C. recruiting, and I was up till midnight watching them play against Texas, screaming in my hotel. So I just think it, it provides a lot of momentum for us who are going to be starting the winter sports. This is your second stint with the Kansas women's basketball team, and and you also played here. Did you yep. always envision yourself returning to Lawrence, or did you always see yourself coming back here? I, you know, I never even wanted to be a coach, but this is a, an ironic <laughs> story, and I tell my wife this. So the the uh, two years, the year before I came, when I was out coach at Texas, we came up here played a game. It was a weekend game, and I feel like it was a double-header game. And we stayed at the Elgin's Hotel, so as soon as we got to town, I went down. It wasn't cold, so I walked down the street, and I got me some Jefferson's wings and came up back to the hotel at 8. And then I remember, you know, during the day of the game, we had shoot-around, and, and, and I was just looking out you know, on the street on Mass Street and just looking at the people walking up and down the street and just remembering how great of a, a city Lawrence was and how, how, how cool it was to work here and play here. And, and so I started kind of having those thoughts then, just like it would be cool to – to coach back here again, to live back in Lawrence again, and to bring my family. Because I have, when I, when I coached here first, my daughter was born here, who was 10, she just turned 10, and we hadn't been back since she was, you know, before she was even one. So my son, who's seven, and my other daughter, who's three, hadn't, they saw Jayhawks, but they had never been around the atmosphere. So it was just something that I envisioned and, and kind of wanted in the back of my mind, but I didn't think it was going to happen that day when I was looking outside. And so I kind of go back to that game day a lot of times when I'm driving down Mass Street and just seeing the people on the weekends hanging out in the stores and the shops. It's just a great place to live. All right, so I got to know, is Jefferson's your go-to restaurant when you're when you're looking for something to eat? Yes, the Jefferson's <laughs> Wings is my go-to spot. The, the what I think they call double dip with extra ranch and some and some fries, and I am good to go. <laughs> <laughs> one, one more question for you, Terry. You talked, you mentioned it briefly. What, what's your best memory from your playing time at Kansas? What was your best memory from playing at KU? Oh, I, and this is something that I tell uh, uh, my my my. My players, like what I remember more, and, and us as teammates, we are group techs. I don't remember so much games and basketball as much as I remember crazy stuff that happened in the locker room, us hanging out in the towers, us going to parties, 
Um, I met my wife now at a house party my junior year when she was a freshman. And, and so I remember, like, those, like, I can remember specifically specific parties and, and fun stuff that we did off the court, probably more so than I remember basketball. So I would just, like, and I'm pretty sure our team, just the family and the fact that those guys were, were guys that I met in 1996 and, and three of my teammates were at my wedding and we still have group texts and we all in college, we all had like our college football teams. And to this day, we all, if somebody's team loses, we all like give, give each, give each other like a bunch of trash talk when different people's teams lose. And so just like stuff like that, just the brotherhood and the family of KU is stuff that I remember probably more than actual playing basketball. Great. Terry, thank you so much for coming on the show. He is assistant associate head coach Terry Nooner of Kansas Women's Basketball. The late the season's right around the corner. Late night in the fog's coming up, and tip-off for KU is under a month away. Terry, thank you so much for joining me today. All right, thanks for having me. Rock out. That was Kansas Women's Basketball Associate Head Coach Terry Nooner on the show. Thank you so much to Terry. And a reminder, season's right around the corner for Kansas Women's Basketball and for Kansas Men's Basketball. Late Night in the Fog is coming up, so it's a very exciting time for Kansas Athletics. Coming up, we'll have a Big 12 football whip around. There was some exciting action from the weekend, not just beyond uh, KU's win over Iowa State. That's next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today. He'll be back tomorrow, and we will have more discussion and analysis of all things happening with KU and KU football. We'll get into our offensive and defensive breakdowns once Derek comes back. But I'm just here all by my lonesome today with no Derek, and some might say that I'm lost without him. Nah, just kidding. Anyways, KU football gets a big win over Iowa State, 14-11. to It was ugly. It was gritty. It was grimy. It was gross even. But KU gets the win, and they're 5-0. and But that wasn't maybe even the most interesting result of the weekend in the Big 12 football world. There was uh, some craziness happening in the Big 12 over the weekend. And we'll start with KU's opponents coming to town for college game day. That's TCU. TCU crushes Oklahoma, absolutely demolishes them, 55-24. to It was never even a game. TCU was all over them from the beginning. They blew them out. And the Horn Frogs put up 27 points in the first quarter of that game against Oklahoma, and they never looked back. They absolutely smoked them. Max Duggan. Incredible game, 23 for 33, 302 yards, three touchdowns. They ran all over Oklahoma, 361 yards. They averaged 8.8 yards per carry against Oklahoma. So the big take, the big takeaways from this game, the OU defense, not fixed, not even close to being fixed. Brent Venables, you haven't, your job's not done yet, bud. Still got to fix the defense. And the thing about Oklahoma is, obviously, it's not like their defense has always been great by any stretch of the word. In fact, their defense is normally pretty bad, honestly. But the difference is they've been able to rely on a top pick at quarterback to carry them. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, even Caleb Williams. 
Dylan Gabriel is not that guy. He's not that level. He's a good quarterback. He's a good college quarterback. He's not a number one overall pick. He's not a first-round pick. And that is showing for OU. And Gabriel also got hurt, I believe, in that game against TCU as well. So that could be something to keep an eye on. But, yeah, those are the big takeaways on the Oklahoma side. And Oklahoma, again, I don't. maybe Derek and I were overreacting. A couple weeks ago, we thought that the Big 12 was – was pretty much locked up. Oklahoma was going to be in the Big 12 championship game playing somebody. Well, that obviously is not going to be the case now, it would seem. And TCU and Kansas are the only two undefeated teams left in the conference. Are we about to see a, are we about to see a preview of the Big 12 championship game in Lawrence? Seems unlikely, but... Oh, wait, Oklahoma State's undefeated, too. My apologies to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is also has not lost. But the point still stands. I mean, we we ended, this is a very interesting sort of pendulum of how things have gone for, for KU, or in the Big 12, I should say. Preseason, we thought, oh, yeah, Big 12 is wide open. There's some good teams in the Big 12. You know, KU might be 7th or 8th best team in the Big 12, but at the top half, it's, it's, it's wide open. You got some good teams up there. The season starts. Oklahoma's looking really good. They blow out Nebraska. Derek and I sit here. Oh yeah, Big Twelve's not wide open anymore. Oklahoma's gonna Oklahoma's clearly at the top. Then you know maybe you got some teams that could jockey for it. Kansas starts four and zero. K State beats Oklahoma. TCU beats Oklahoma. Kansas beats Iowa State. And now we're right back to where we were in the preseason. Well, I mean not exactly, but same concept. The Big 12, it turns out, is indeed wide open. Oklahoma is not even a guarantee to make the championship game at this point. I mean, if you were a betting man, I think you'd have to say Oklahoma State is maybe most likely. And then, I don't know, maybe TCU. Maybe TCU. Maybe Kansas. Or maybe Texas, if they beat Oklahoma. If Oklahoma loses to Texas in the Red River rivalry this weekend, they're done. They're done. Three losses in Big 12 play? And you haven't even played Oklahoma State or Baylor yet? So, on the TCU side of things, I'm still not quite sure what to think of this game. TCU's offense has been outstanding. Their defense, not so much, but they, they play well against Oklahoma. But we'll, we'll obviously be talking more about the matchup between KU and TCU as this week progresses forward. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what to think of TCU. I mean, they're, they're an interesting team. They hadn't really played anybody. I mean, they played Colorado, the worst Power 5 team in, in America. They they barely beat SMU. I think that game went to overtime, or if it didn't, it was close. But then they blow out Oklahoma? I don't know. I'm not quite sure what to think of TCU. The good news is I've got all week to, to try to figure it out before KU plays them. And maybe Lance Leipold doesn't know what to think of TCU either. Maybe they're in the maybe they're in the film room thinking, what's up with these guys? But Max Duggan is now one of the top quarterbacks in the Big Twelve in terms of rating. I mean, are we sitting here saying this game between KU and TCU features the best two quarterbacks in the Big Twelve, Jalen Daniels and Max Duggan? Is that a statement you expected to make at this point in the season? Or ever? I didn't. But that win was also huge for TCU because if TCU loses to Oklahoma, 
Game day's not coming to Lawrence, I don't think. If they lose close, maybe. But if, if Oklahoma beats them pretty easily, bye game day. No game day for us. So that win was actually huge in terms of that. And guess what? Game day's not fraudulent anymore. They were frauds, and now they're not. What's the opposite of frauds? Dependable? Let's see. I'm trying to think of this. I don't know. The point is, game TCU, KU did their part, obviously, but TCU did their part, too, to get game day to Lawrence. So you got Oklahoma getting demolished by TCU. Questions about Oklahoma. How good is TCU? And then you have Oklahoma State and Baylor, which going into the weekend was probably on paper the most intriguing matchup in the Big 12. Oklahoma State gets the win. Oklahoma State kind of in a similar boat as TCU in the sense that they just hadn't really played anybody. I mean, we know Oklahoma State is good. Spencer Sanders is is has the most Big 12 experience under his belt out of any of the quarterbacks in the Big 12. And Oklahoma State, they, they got it done. Baylor made a big push in the third quarter. By the way, in this game against between Baylor and Oklahoma State, 39 points scored in the third quarter between the two of them. 17 for Oklahoma State, 22 for Baylor. That is a ridiculous third quarter. But Oklahoma State hangs on in the end, 36-25. They get the win. Spencer Sanders was not that impressive through the air. The ground game for Oklahoma State wasn't great. Brendan Presley seems like he might be one of the top receivers in the Big 12 for Oklahoma State. And on the other side, the ground game didn't really work for Baylor either. Blake Shapin ended up throwing for 345 yards. He threw two interceptions, though. And like I said, I think this game is a measure was probably a measuring stick game for both these teams. And Oklahoma State passed the test. So you would think that the Cowboys are the best team in the Big 12 at this point. I guess. I mean, who else, who's, who's better? TCU? Kansas? So they get the win. Like I said, Blake Shapin, he threw two interceptions late in that game. That really sunk Baylor, actually. Oklahoma State was up 23-3 to and had to kind of hang on. And they got the win. And Oklahoma State comes to Lawrence later on this year, which is increasingly looking like a very interesting matchup. And again, I think Kansas, now that they've got this start, their season is going to increasingly become defined by this upcoming three-game stretch after TCU. We'll see what happens against TCU. But then they have Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State back-to-back-to-back. Two of those on the road. Baylor and Oklahoma on the road. Oklahoma State's coming to Lawrence. I understand that things are great for Kansas right now. They're 5-0. and They're looking great. But there is a very, there's still a very real possibility that KU is five and four after this, after these next four games. That's a very real possibility. Equally, they could be seven and two. They they could be seven and two. I don't know. To be quite honest with you, but they they could easily be five and four through these next four games. And then we're back to the conversation of. They need three more games after that. Texas Tech, Texas, K-State. Can you win one of those to become bowl eligible? 
that I mean that there's a very real possibility that becomes a storyline for Kansas. It becomes five and zero right now. Lose four straight. You're five and four. You've got three chances to try to make a bowl. Can you get it done? I don't. I don't. I don't obviously want that to be the storyline that we talk about in in a month, but it very well could be. Well, like I said, it it could also be KU beats TCU and maybe they steal one from Oklahoma. Or maybe they steal one from Oklahoma State at home, and they're seven and two. Going into those final three games, and then I mean you got and then Texas Tech seems like a pretty good team, but beatable on the road. Texas, there's questions still. And K State. So I increasingly I, I I am of the belief that these these next I guess now you can look at the TCU game. So the next the next four games are going to define KU's season. A loss to TCU, as long as it's not a blowout, I don't think really hurts them that much. Hurts KU that much. If it's a close game and they lose, that's fine. Because all along, well, really ever since they got to 3-0, or maybe 4-0 after beating Duke, the discussion was, let's go 1-1 here against Iowa State and TCU. Well, you've already got the one. You've already got the one. You're 5-0. So if this is a competitive game against TCU, but it does end up being a loss for Kansas, that's 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 fine, I think. That's fine. Unless you are of the more optimistic endeavors of KU fans and what you're thinking, well, maybe KU can compete for the Big 12 title. Which, if you're of that opinion, I'm not saying I am. If you are of that opinion, then you kind of need to beat TCU, I think. But if you have the opinion of, let's get to a bowl game, this game for against TCU is, it's okay if it's if it's a loss. As long as it's not a blowout. But if you're five and four, lose to TCU, lose three straight against Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State, I think you're going to be feeling some pressure if you're KU. Right now, I don't. Right now, I don't think the Jayhawks feel any pressure. I, I I really don't. I think they're they're playing loose, they're playing free, they're just they're just going off the energy of this start. But if they start to lose, and that pressure maybe starts to creep in a little bit. I don't know. So Oklahoma State beats Baylor 36-25. And Baylor now looking like a team that, I don't know. That was, that was at Baylor, by the way. So a huge road win in the conference for Oklahoma State against the top 20 opponent. Kansas State beats Texas Tech 37-28. And I personally don't think... I, this game really tells you anything that you didn't already know about maybe either one of these teams. For Kansas State, my my whole thing all along has been if you're, if, if you're in a position where you don't have to rely on Adrian Martinez to make a play, then you're golden. And they didn't have to rely on Adrian Martinez to make a play with his arm in, the, in this game against Texas Tech. They ran all over Texas Tech. Adrian Martinez, 12 carries for 171 yards and three touchdowns. Deuce Vaughn, 23 carries for 170 yards. That's a very, very dangerous duo on the ground. But Martinez was 12 of 19 for 116 yards and a touchdown. Passing. So, again, I don't think I really learned anything from this game for K-State. They got the win 37-28 against Texas Tech. But 
I don't think I learned anything new about them. This is kind of what I already thought they were. If they can ground and pound you and control the game that way, and you don't, and you they don't have to rely on Adrian Martinez to to make a throw or do anything with his arm, they're going to be successful. And they were able to do that against Texas Tech. So there's nothing really I, I think that I could extrapolate any further from K State. On the Texas Tech side, Donovan Smith got sacked six times by K State. He threw for 360 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And Texas Tech, they just they are what they are, I think, at this point. I think Texas Tech, they're a they're a six win team. They're a five six win team. That's just what they are. And again, I think I mentioned this earlier earlier in the in the preseason. I think most KU fans would have circled that Texas Tech game on the schedule on the road and said, "Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably that that should be a winnable game for KU." And I, I agree, it should be. But if Texas Tech is a six, five, six, seven win team, and Kansas ends up being a five, six, seven win team, that game on the road might not be, maybe what KU fans think it it should be for KU. That's all I'll say. Which that again. If you're five and four, and Texas Tech is that ninth game of the season, it's Texas Tech, Tex, or the tenth game of the season, I guess. Texas Tech, Texas, and Kansas is your final stretch, or Kansas State is your final stretch. That 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 Texas Tech game becomes very interesting, I think, at that point. If KU is is five and four, going into that game, and finally in the Big Twelve, Texas takes care of West Virginia, thirty-eight to twenty. Texas gets the win, and and I feel I feel kind of bad for West Virginia. Actually, I I mean they're two and three. They could easily easily be four and one. Easily, they barely they lose to Pitt on a on a kind of a fluke play. They lose to Kansas, right? I, I mean I don't think they're a bad team, but they're probably going to be near or at the bottom of the Big Twelve this year. Texas took control of this game pretty early. They were up 28-7 at half, and they just kind of coasted to a win against West Virginia. Hudson Card still filling in for Quinn Ewers, 21-27, 303 yards, three touchdowns. Bijan Robinson had a pretty pedestrian game, 21 carries, 101 yards, and a touchdown. But that's kind of a ho-hum win for Texas. It's a win that they definitely needed pretty badly. And they got it, so you know, good for them. But uh, yeah, I think I honestly, I do think it's a shame for West Virginia. I think West Virginia is is better than their record, but I think, but they're going to end up being probably a eighth or ninth or tenth place team in the Big Twelve. So you got four games on the schedule coming up this Saturday in the Big Twelve. You got the Red River rivalry or the Red River showdown, whatever whatever they call it. Derek and I had that argument last week. I don't even remember what it's what it's called. I like Red River Rivalry. I think that's the best, the one that sounds the best. It's in Dallas, Oklahoma, Texas. By the way, that's the only game this week, the only Big 12 game this week that does not feature a ranked team is OU Texas. How crazy is that? Only Big 12 game that doesn't feature a ranked, a ranked team. And you got Kansas hosting TCU at 11 a.m. as well. College game day is coming to town, 17 versus 19. Oklahoma State is at home against Texas Tech 
in the afternoon and Farmageddon in the evening with Iowa State and Kansas State. And that that's a very interesting game. Iowa State-Kansas State is an interesting game for a, a lot of different reasons. If Iowa State aspires to be a top half team in the Big 12, they, they probably really need to win this game pretty badly against Kansas State. And for Kansas State, they already they already got their Oklahoma win, so they're already in pretty good shape there. And for them to trip up potentially against Iowa State would be re- <laughs> would be really bad for would be really bad for them. I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, that that could be the most interesting one in the evening. OU Texas should be an exciting game. Obviously, Kansas and TCU. Yeah. So, KU, they got the win against Iowa State, 14-11. to College game day is coming to town. TCU is coming to town. We'll have plenty of more discussion of KU. We'll have KU audio. It's media day for... Lance Leipold tomorrow. Wednesday, we'll have KU football player audio along with the coordinators, Andy Kolnicki and Brian Borland. So we'll have tons of audio to get to, tons of discussion to get to throughout this week. Continuing to recap the Iowa State win with Derek Johnson and previewing TCU. So all that coming up this week here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll take a break right now, top of the hour coming up. And in the 5 o'clock hour, Case of the Mondays coming up on the other side at 5.05. I'm Nick Springer with Derek Johnson, who was out today. So I'm Nick Springer flying solo. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today. He'll be back tomorrow and the rest of this week. So the weekend verbally joust once again. And it's that time on a Monday. Five o'clock hour on a Monday. You know what that means. After a t- after a long weekend, an exciting weekend though, nonetheless, of a win for KU, KU ranked, college game day. The Chiefs get a big win. But nonetheless, it is that time. If you've got a case of the Mondays. That's right, Case of the Mondays here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. And I've got some exciting ones today. There's some in, there's some good ones. First off, Case of the Mondays for the world of competitive fishing. This one might have slipped the net on you if you were following sports over the weekend. Two men were found to be cheating in a fishing tournament in Cleveland, I believe, in Ohio by placing lead balls inside the fish they were catching to increase the weight. They had won previous tournaments. There was two guys. They were some up-and-comers in the world of competitive fishing, but they have been placing lead balls in their fish. So they were catching the fish and then, I guess, stuffing the lead ball in the mouth of the fish because one of the, the, the tournament judge or whatever you call them, he noticed a, a bulge in one of the fish as they were preparing to weigh it. And his spidey sense tinkled. He said, what's going on there? And during the weigh-in, he decided to cut open 
one of the fish that they had caught. And sure enough, he discovered lead balls inside the fish. A huge cheating scandal in the world of competitive fishing. How is the world of competitive fishing going to recover from this one? You've got steroids in baseball, but this is a whole other level. Putting lead balls inside fish to increase the weight? How will the world of competitive fishing recover? That's a tough one. And listen, this is we're talking, you know, serious money here. I mean, in the article they discussed how, you know, ounces even could be the difference between tens and thousands of dollars for different, you know, competitors. So a case of the Mondays for the world of competitive fishing trying to recover from that cheating scandal that happened in Ohio. Case of the Mondays for Will Lutz. Kicker for the New Orleans Saints. Double doink to miss what would have been a game-tying field goal against Minnesota in the London game. It was a very, very long field goal, but that hurts. That hurts. I have a friend who was a Bears fan, and he said that it was very nice to experience a double doink that was not painful. So if you're a Saints fan, I, I'm sorry. It was painful, I'm sure, but a double doink, that's a tough one. You never want that to happen, and that's that would, that would definitely give you a case of the Mondays. Case of the Mondays for the New York Mets. <laughs> the New York Mets, they've been leading the NL East since basically the start of the season. They had the NL East practically locked up going into this final week and a half of the Major League Baseball season. They had a series with the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves were in second place in the NL East. The Mets at one point, I think, were 10 games up on the Braves. Entering this series against the Braves, the Mets had a 79% chance to win the division. 79%. What happened? The Braves swept them. The Braves swept the Mets, and now the Braves are going to win the division. After the sweep of the Mets... The Braves have a 98% chance of winning the NL East. That's just classic New York Mets. Stumble right at the finish line to crash out of the division lead and give it to the Braves. And listen, in, in Major League Baseball, that's a big deal because now the the Mets are going to have to go through a gauntlet in the playoffs against a lot of tough teams. So just a disaster all around for the Mets. They snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. They had the division one. The Braves come in. They sweep them. They steal the division away. And the Mets have lost all their momentum going into the playoffs. It's not a good day to be <laughs> to be the New York Mets. This might be the worst one of them all, though. This might be the worst one of them all. Case of the Mondays for the Phoenix Suns. First of all, I didn't even realize the NBA was back. Apparently, preseason started at some point. I wasn't even aware of it. I think maybe like most most uh, people of Lawrence and, and, and KU sports enjoyers, I've just been so caught up in KU football that I haven't even really taken a moment to consider like anything beyond that, besides the Chiefs. So apparently, the NBA is starting at some point, or the preseason is, <laughs> has started already, actually. And here's how I know the preseason has started. The Phoenix Suns lost to the, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right, the Adelaide 36ers, Adelaide, I think, A-D-E-L-A-I-D-E, Adelaide 36ers. They lost 
134 to 124. The Phoenix Suns, an NBA franchise, lost to the Adelaide 36ers. Now, you may be sitting there saying, now wait a minute. What the heck is an Adelaide 36ers? Well, rest assured, I did the legwork for you. The Adelaide, again, I, I think I'm pronouncing it right. Adelaide. The Adelaide 36ers hail from Australia. Adelaide, Australia is where they come from. They came to Phoenix and they beat the Phoenix Suns 134-124 in a, in a preseason game or an exhibition game. The Aussies coming through and beating the Phoenix Suns. I mean, does it get any worse than that for the Phoenix Suns? And the Phoenix Suns already have a, some problems. DeAndre Ayton doesn't want to be there. Scott Chasen, who I hosted the K Football pregame tailgate show with on Saturday, he's a big Phoenix Suns fan. I got to ask him, man, is, is he in, are, are Suns fans in shambles over this? Or is this just like a, eh, whatever? But, I mean, can you really shake off losing to Adelaide, the, the 36ers? First of all, I don't even know why they're called the 36ers. I didn't, I didn't do that much research, so I guess that's on me. But because, oh, okay, I see. Actually, I just did some research very quickly here on the Google, and I can only assume that they are called the 36ers because according to, according to Google, Adelaide, the city of Adelaide in Australia, was founded in 1836. Boom, 36ers. There you go. Look at that. The Adelaide 36ers. I'm gonna feel so horrible if that's not how you pronounce the name of this. <laughs> how you pronounce the name of the city? They get the win over the Phoenix Suns. And in case you're wondering, they are the first non-NBA team to beat an NBA team since 2016. The first time it's happened in preseason since 2015, when the Knicks lost. The Knicks lost to a French team, I believe, in 2015. And that's just classic Knicks to also have lost to a to a a, a non NBA team. But yeah, the Phoenix Suns might that they might have the hardest case of the Mondays out of anybody. I think. I mean, that one I think pretty much takes the cake. Case of the Mondays for the New York Jets, and you're thinking, Nick, wait a minute. The New York Jets, they won. They beat the Steelers. And they did. They did beat the Steelers. But they still have the case of the Mondays, and here's why. When asked why he was in Miami instead of with the Jets, Tyreek Hill simply stated state simply said state taxes. So the Jets, they could have had Tyreek Hill if they didn't have state taxes. They didn't have state taxes in New York. Which, by the way, the Jets are in New York, I think. I mean, you have the Giants. Are, the Giants are actually in New Jersey. Are the Jets in New York? I assume they are. Or are they in New Jersey? I don't know. But the point is, Tyreek Hill, when choosing between the Jets and the Dolphins, went to the Dolphins because they're in Florida, less taxes. And also, Florida, I think, is just really better in a lot of ways than New York. I mean, isn't that just a fact, do you think? At least from my perspective. I think I actually talked about my, my New York experience earlier on this show. Earlier, uh, maybe last week sometime. There's just, everyone's running around. Everyone's yelling. There's car, horse honk, there's, there's car horns honking all the time. 
it's it's just a disaster. It's a disaster. Florida, you got the beach. You got I don't know what else is Florida have. <laughs> I guess by, I guess if I can only come up with the beach, maybe Florida's not as great as I thought it was. But anyways, the Jets have a case of the Mondays because they could have Tyreek Hill. They could have spared us all of the two is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. Two is this. Two is that. Two is great. Two is incredible. Patrick Mahomes, who? Two is even better than Patrick Mahomes. They could have saved us all that discourse by simply not having state taxes, and Tyreek Hill would have gone to the Jets. And then we would have had Zach Wilson is the best quarterback of all time discourse from Tyreek Hill, maybe. So case of the Mondays for the New York Jets because they <laughs> couldn't sign Tyreek because of state taxes. And listen, all credit to Tyreek here. I mean, I understand completely. He, You assume that the reason he didn't stay in Kansas City was because of the financial situation. The Chiefs allegedly offered him a, a, a comparable deal, but it was not as much as Devontae Adams, who had just signed with the Raiders. And that's what Tyreek Hill wanted. So obviously he was motivated by money the whole time, all along. So it only makes sense that he would then choose to go somewhere that has where he's going to lose less money in taxes as opposed to more money. So for Tyreek Hill, it's, I think it's a no-brainer. Based off of what we assume his his uh, his motivation was all along. And I respect him for it. You know, I have no problem with that. What I had a problem with Tyreek Hill was Tyreek Hill just, he, he made it seem like it was the Chiefs' fault that he was not with the Chiefs anymore, which didn't make any sense. I have no problem with getting your money, man. Go get it. I mean, conceivably, how much longer can Tyreek Hill be the fastest player in the NFL? Or that much faster than defenders? You know, I get it. Go for it, man. Get after it. Case of the Mondays for Mitch Trubisky. This is a tough one. The starter for the Steelers. Replaced in the third quarter by Kenny Pickett. And just, just it goes from bad to worse for Mr. Mitch Trubisky. I feel bad for him at the end of the day, but that's, that's tough. So there's good news and bad news here. The good news, great news, you might even say, Kenny Pickett did not throw an incompletion when he came into the game. Didn't throw a single incompletion. That's the good news. Now you want the bad news? He was 10 of 13 with three interceptions. Three. But no incompletions. He didn't throw an incompletion. 10 of 13, three interceptions. No incompletions. By the way, the Steelers have never finished below 500 under Mike Tomlin. Is that going to change this year? They're 1-3 now, I think. Is that going to change? I feel like it will. Unless Kenny Pickett turns out to be a lot better. And what's going to happen with Mitch Trubisky? Where does he go from here? Where does Mitch Trubisky go from here? I don't I don't really know, honestly. I don't really know what he does. I mean, he's not a horrible quarterback. I don't think he's a horrible quarterback. He could certainly be a backup, probably for most teams. But you figure with Kenny Pickett replacing him, you would think that the Steelers would then just decide, you know what, we've got this first-round guy. We've already unleashed him on upon the planet. Let's just keep him. Let's just keep playing him. Mitch, sorry, bud. Case of the Mondays for Mitch Trubisky. Tough one. We'll see if the Steelers finish under 500. 
All right, so that was our case of the Mondays on this Monday. Like I said, it's a it, we I ran the case of the Monday segment, but really it's a I think it's a feel good Monday for 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 KU and Chiefs fans. I mean, I don't think you could ask for a more better weekend, uh, a more better, a more better, uh, a betterer, uh, a more sat. You know what? Scrap that. A more satisfying weekend for KU Kansas City fans. The Jayhawks are five and zero in football. They're ranked for the first time since 2009. Game day. Game day is coming to town. They're coming to Lawrence, Kansas. For football, not for basketball. For football. And then the Chiefs, they let they remind everybody who they are. They're the Chiefs. That's who they are against the Bucks on Sunday Night Football. So really a great weekend overall, I think, <laughs> for us. But but still, other people not so, not so lucky. So that was case of the Mondays. We've got... The second half of the Lance Leipold postgame press conference against Iowa State coming up on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today. He'll be back tomorrow. And that Lance Leipold audio is coming up after this break. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.